This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Hey, welcome to the Ian Weekly Show, and uh, this is your host, Todd DeVoe, and I have with me Dan Scott and Rodrigo Nieto. And Rodrigo, um, he is a, uh, a futurist, right? And he works for and teaches at the Naval Postgraduate School up in Monterey. Great, beautiful place to be, by the way. Uh, and he also is uh, an instructor extraordinaire. He as an EMI as well. That's where I where I got to meet Rodrigo and and learn a lot from from him and, and about the future of of way things happen and systems thinking and all sorts of kind of great stuff. And it's it's great to have you on the show, Rodrigo. Thank you so much, Steph. How have you been? I've been well, Daniel. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good morning, Rodrigo. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Doing well. Glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. So, the future. That's the big question right now, right? Is now, Rodrigo, where are my flying cars? <laughs> uh, they were not practical. And this is actually a good lesson of uh, how most of future, future thinking is not about the future, but it's about the present. When we imagine future cars, uh, we were reflecting on the values of that time. If you remember, that idea came from the Jetsons and that time. And this was a time in which we saw urban sprawl as a positive thing. The cities that you would see in the shows would go all over the place. We don't need flying cars because we like walkable downtowns now. People are coming, well, at least before COVID-19, we were coming back. And in many ways, the values changed. The environmental movement gave us an idea in which uh, not altering the environment was important. And uh, it also meant that transportation was different, right? So, so that's why we don't have them. We're getting there. Technologically, we're getting there. It just became less of a priority, right? You know, and, and kind of, you know, I know we're going to talk a lot about smart cities right now, and and how smart cities can really help out with the the COVID crisis or pandemic. And I know we say COVID; it seems to be the uh, the the word that we're using now for for pandemic. But um, like one of the things I talk about, we we have pan pandemic flu plans or pan flu plans. Um, I, I like to take the idea of taking flu out of that and just adding. A pandemic plan now because i think it could be uh, more globally but um the, the flying cars the the idea of people not using automobiles anymore what i mean by not using is not purchasing right uh the millennial generation generation z uh they're less likely to have a driver's license um it's kind of weird use uh, an uber the uber yeah, yeah uber right and that's that goes to, to the question right now dan is how are we moving people, right? If they're not using their own vehicles, right? And they're using Uber, but now we can't really use Uber because of the pandemic. How do we move people safely uh, during these times if we need to do evacuations and things like that? Well, 
that's the big question, right? And it doesn't relate only to Uber. I mean, we, we've been thinking about what does, uh, in this case, COVID-19 means for cities that depend uh, on public transportation. Uh, preliminary data right now shows that, thankfully, at least for this case, it seems that subways are less dangerous than we thought they would be originally. That doesn't mean that they're not. Uh, but it, it is true that not only mobility, but in general, the whole evacuation cycle and, and the sheltering sh cycle is going to be uh, the most challenging that we've seen uh, in, a, in a generation or two because of COVID-19, right? So COVID-19, it's a variable. That's what we, you would call it in future studies. It's a variable that alters what we used to think about the future. Um, the low-hanging fruit has already been done. Uh, it's already been doing, and many of your listeners have been working really hard to revamp and re uh, uh, design their uh, plans, their disaster recovery plans to, to factor COVID-19. Uh, and, and many uh, FEMA sectors have done a great job and are putting out publications about what to do and how to do it. But it's certainly going to be different. For, yeah, for the new generation, Gen Z, millennials, it is true that uh, assumptions that we used to have regarding, for example, uh, the way they live, that assume the vehicle, that assume the capacity, even even having a prep uh, 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 a kit for emergencies in your house, um, well, that only works if you have space. And many of these kids who live in metropolitan areas or families uh, in small apartments cannot store a, a month of food in their places because they don't have a physical place to do <laughs> So um, we do need to rethink how people live and look at those trends uh, to, to, to adapt to that. And I think we're doing a decent job. Could it be better? Sure. But. Sure. So, so Roderick, let me ask this. With, with the things they are, and we talked about this on another show, but we're calling it the new normal, right? With, and, and, and I brought it back to after 9-11, they called it uh, terrorism, concentrate on terrorism, the new normal. And now we're at COVID-19 as a new normal. Do you consider at any point in time in the future that that um, that we will go back to the way it was? Do you think that we will continue to, con to practice physical distancing and, and wearing masks as we move forward? Or, or do you think we will go back to be able to sit closer to one another, have those, those intimate conversations close to each other in bars that we used to um, versus um, where we are now? So now we're going to spread out or you can't be inside you got to have all your events outside especially you know both of us live in monterey county and we're taking a little bit of a step back uh here in monterey county with uh, closing the indoors you can only do stuff outdoors uh so what are your thoughts on that yeah uh, this too shall pass i think uh i think so and this is one of those cases in which people tend to uh, overestimate the short-term impact of an event but they tend to un underestimate the long-term impact i think that um because the evidence is there from previous pandemics, people do adapt and then they come back to some kind of the original normalcy. So, so there's a reversion to the mean. Uh, once vaccinations are there, once herd immunity is reached, once uh, after a few months we see and kind of start to forget what it meant to uh, shelter in place, which is, by the way, the wrong term to use, but whatever, it's one that people have been using. Uh, I, I think that in general, we will default back to our, we're social animals, we'll go back to that. That said, I do think that there'll be certain long-term impacts and might be not in places we think they will be. I'm very interested in seeing what will happen with socialization skills with kids from preschool to K to four or five when you're 
when they're growing up in those formative years, telling them not to touch people, don't get close, all, all, the, all these, these kind of behaviors that we had to insist on them. Uh, we, we Psychologists are right now uh, discussing if there'll be or not a long-term consequence for this generation, for example. And I do think that some of us will be forever a little bit more aware about when somebody coughs or sneezes. And therefore, we might want to rethink how we design public spaces. Movie theaters were already going in that direction by giving more space uh, to families who were there. They can do that because less people go to the movie theaters now, so they, they have more space. So I do think that we will see uh, long-term consequences of COVID-19. Um, I think that we might end up seeing them in places we did not expect them. And, and the low-hanging fruit, the evident... We will be, hopefully 2021, knock on wood, we will be all watching together football back uh, with our friends and family. So, Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up too about the, the, the you know, socialization with the kids because that's, that's a problem that I, I actually had, especially with the schools right now. And they put out a bunch of surveys and asking how, you know, how we would think about certain things as far as as a parent, if we wanted to do half days, uh, just a couple days at school and how are they were going to do it. But I feel like, you know, your kids got to play with other kids, you know, they got to get that socialization and they got to be able to run around, play tag. Uh, and we're telling them right now, don't touch anybody, don't hug anybody, um, cover your mouth, you know? So, and I feel like some of these things that we're doing as far as um, should be long-term, you know, if you got the flu, you're feeling sick, it needs to be a, a mindset change, especially with the, uh, you know, not going to work when you're sick or not going, you know, not going in the public if you don't need to, if you're sick and these things. So uh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I agree with you with the second part. I, I, I mean, uh, for many years, it was a mark of uh, uh, courage or, or, or work ethic to go sick mm -hmm. to the office or to go sick to class. Uh, now it's the opposite. I mean, you want to be a patriot, please don't do it. Right. So, and tens of, tens of thousands of people die of the flu every year. So, so we might get some good lessons, as you're saying. And by all means, now that we have learned to operate in a social distancing mode, uh, I would love to see offices and colleges all over the planet. Uh, so if you're sick and you have a call, let alone the flu, uh, we'll provide a decent infrastructure in our college room. So for the next, uh, in the college classroom, so for the next seven days, please don't come, right? Until you are not contagious and you won't lose anything, right? So I, I agree. I, I think we should Absolutely. learn. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that about the colleges. Uh, there's a college that I do some work for uh, here in in, uh, in Orange County, and they're actually putting in, um, they call them owls. Uh, mm -hmm. They're like a little camera that you can actually still uh, videotape uh, lectures going on, uh, giving students the ability to stay home and still be able to get their lectures. So I see some of this technology moving forward, which is an interesting, um, and an interesting thing. You know, I want to go back to that long-term thing that you said. And it's interesting that if you take a look at historically speaking, washing hands uh, wasn't a thing that people did before. And then um, and, and it became it became really popular after the 1918 flu uh, to, to wash hands and do things on a regular basis. And we're seeing that that kind of lesson come back again. And, you know, you talk about the cultural aspect of things. Think about the song, the kids song, the children's song, the game, Ring Around the Rosie. Right, that comes from the plague, right? For the the, the black plague, right? They're in the, they're in the medieval ages, of uh, that little song. So some of these things do stick and, and stick around, and, and we don't know the historical significance of it sometimes, but they're still there. What do you to put your futures hat on here? What do you see that's coming out of the things that we're doing today that might stick around a generation or two, uh, or maybe even a hundred years from now that we're going to be 
from because of what we're doing here with this COVID response? Yeah, so I think this would be, for example, and and and, and again, it's not. I don't even have to look at the future. I can look at the past and just see the train. Uh, COVID nineteen has been defined uh, as an accelerator. So so um, basically, what is happening is that things that were already happening, they're just happening faster. So, for mm-hmm. example, re- telework. Telework is not new. Uh, we've been doing it for a while. Uh, technology has been allowing for telework to happen but it hadn't reached scale, right? Most jobs were nine to five, especially in government. I mean, we had in the federal government, we had a law requiring a, a accommodation for telework since a while back, but but most managers didn't want it. We were skeptical. The tech sector has been doing it more uh, 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 with, with more persistence. But I think that now that companies and individuals both have tested the waters of uh, what it means to be able to work from home. Some people hate it and they are counting the seconds to be able to uh, be back to the office, but some people love it. And some corporations like it too because of many reasons. So I think telework is a clear area where we will see at least better technology. I mean, we saw it already uh, and we'll see better corporate habits uh, around it. So that's, that's an evident one. I think that some kind of extra precaution for uh, germ dispersion will stick. We saw it in Asian nations. Uh, the masks right now are very controversial because they have become politicized in a weird polarized world. But I think that the idea that there are some cases in which if you go to a restaurant and you are immunocompromised or you are above a certain age or you are a kid, right? This, this time we've been, we've been lucky and kids are not as affected, but that that's not necessarily the case always. Some other mm-hmm. pandemics actually hit kids harder than adults, for example. So the idea of being mindful either through the use of shields or... So you'll see an adaptation in fashion. You already see today, four months into this mess, you start to see much more uh, options for uh, masks, for example. Now they're transparent, so you can see the mouth and and, and keep some of that uh, uh, visual cues from the body language. So I think that elements like that. So So things to get better at protecting those from germs will become more common, at least for a few years. And remote work is certainly here to stay. And I will bet the farm that consulting is going to boom in the next few years to make sure that you can become a, an organization that can allow uh, work from home more easily. You know, situations like this too, they open, they make you open your mind up just a little bit to, to think about options that were always kind of there, but you didn't want to explore them. Uh, due to, you know, just the fear of what might happen, right? Like they, they may not be working um, at home when we let them work remotely versus now we got to let them work at home and they're getting things done. And I've heard actually, I've heard actually multiple, I've heard it both ways. One one person that um, would, is really productive working at home. Others are like, I got to be at my desk. I get more done at my desk, um, that type of thing. Um, so, I mean, either way, you're going to have those who prefer one or the other. But having the open mind and enough to say, we're going to allow you to try it or we're going to allow you to do this uh, moving forward is, is actually one of the good things that I could say came from uh, the COVID-19, um, even though a lot of what we are doing right now, in my opinion, is a fear-based decision-making. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I think that, that uh, we were scrambling to get it done uh, at the beginning uh, we got a lot of things wrong, like always, when there's a change, the, the, the learning curve kicks in. Uh, the more time it passes in this social experiment where every job that could be uh, 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 relocated to your living room has been relocated, 
uh, that has been that has been done. It's been it's been a very interesting phenomenon. It is changing the the uh, definition of what we consider work, and as we do that, it's going to be changing almost the urban landscape, right? So this changes the way we think about where do we live, uh, city versus rural versus communities. So it's it's really 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 interesting to see the long term consequences it will have even in our urban spaces. So, Rodrigo, you were talking earlier about the idea of changing from the uh, urban sprawl to the walkable cities. Uh, you're seeing this call, there's there's two things that are out there, right? And I, I say new because that's what we called it then. Uh, but when I was going through my my master's program back in the day in public policy, uh, we called it new urbanism versus yeah. and new, new suburbanism, right? And with that walkable city. Now, we're also increasing the idea of the smart city, if you will. Let's talk about smart city real for a couple of seconds here. And how can we actually use the smart city concept in the tracking and, and fighting pandemic and other diseases? Yeah, so it's really interesting. There are certain terms that I often think that are more a marketing term than they are an actual scientific term. So... Uh, AI, right? So artificial intelligence. Most of the things that we define AI tend to be uh, machine learning or or or, or uh, algorithms. But AI sounds sexier. Uh, smart cities is one of those terms. I, I think that smart cities to pinpoint exactly what people mean by that is hard. Uh, what we are seeing though is the rise of an industry that creates infrastructure uh, for for managing metropolitan and urban areas. Uh, more efficiently, uh, and, and this goes from cameras to sensors uh, to uh, decision making. Uh, and I think that they, in times like this one, we've seen numbers like mobility. That that's the typical one that comes out of COVID nineteen. We've seen an increase or decrease in mobility. Most of those are being measured through uh, through uh, cell phone movement, right? So. Uh, mm -hmm. The, the, the towers triangulate your position in order to, to be able to send a signal. So they will see how much your cell phone is moving. And that immediately opened the door to privacy concerns, right? So on the one hand, we need to get data to be able to administer better your metro zones. But imagine that as you get that data, you also get more power to the people who get that data, right? And this is the constant fear of checks and balances that built American democracy. And we're right in the middle of that, right? Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break here, Rodrigo. When we come back, I want to talk about contact tracing and what does that mean? Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. I'm so happy to be introducing our newest sponsor, VanQuest Tough Build Gear. VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Build the toughest bags and packs for your everyday carry and help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011, right through Orange County, California. And their bags and packs have been trusted by clients such as the FBI and the U.S. Secret Service and U.S. Special Operations Command. Bankwest bags and packs offer the best organization and user-friendly experience, such as high visibility interior for users to find the essential gear quick. I'm telling you, that's such a great addition because I'm always looking for stuff in my bags, and that orange background makes it so easy to find. 
you know, VanQuest is offering fast shipping and a lifetime warranty. And if you act now, you can get 5% off by using the discount code EMWEEKLY, all capitals. VanQuest has the expertise to help you stay organized and prepared. And don't forget, VanQuest.com. Thank you for listening to those uh, the sponsors because without them, we really can't bring uh, the quality content that we're bringing right now. And Rodrigo, you know, uh, two things. One is the VanQuest bag. You should really get one. Uh, they're awesome. And uh, like I said, uh, they're in the ad. There's I'll a check 5- it out. Yeah, there's a 5% discount right now. So if you do the Ian Weekly uh, on there, Ian Weekly, all capitals, one word, uh, you get 5% off your, your purchase. So uh, I highly recommend them. Awesome stuff. So before we went on the break, um, I alluded to the, the idea of contact tracing, which is a thing. Right. Apple has put something in their phones. Uh, Google has put stuff on their on their phones. Um, and then as as well as this and, and the company who is a sponsor of the show, Titan HST, they have contact tracing, uh, which is more passive, where you put beacons um, in highly tra- areas like such as like, say, your copy room or, or colleges and computer labs and things like this, where you can see where people come in. And when they leave, it's it just makes it easier to. Um, uh, to when somebody reports themselves saying, Hey, I have, if I have COVID, I, I say, Hey, I have COVID. Then we need to know if we found out that Rodrigo came in the room 30 minutes after I left, he can get tested and whatnot. Talk, let's talk about contact tracing. Why is First of all, why is it controversial? We've been doing it for a hundred years, literally. Yeah, it shouldn't be. I, and, and I want to be very clear that the way this debate has gone in America didn't happen in other industrialized nations, right? Something weird happened here regarding our relationship with authority. It might be, if I try to give it a positive spin, I would say that Americans distrust government as part of their nature, that we were a government built to be, we were a society built to be uh, uh, questioning the government, right? And and already from the Federalist Papers, right? So let ambition check ambition. And therefore maybe there's some of that rugged individualism that goes into this formula that makes America great in so many aspects, but it works against us in this particular case. We need central coordination. I think, um, I caught, yeah, contact tracing shouldn't be uh, the, uh, controversial. It's actually the way to go. Is the way down most countries that have COVID nineteen right now under control, um, and it means that you have brought the uh, outbreak to such an to such a level uh, that uh, you can now get ahead of the outbreak. Right? That if I know that I have it. Uh, and I immediately notify, in this case, through technology and beacons are a fantastic way of doing it. Um, I can then trace and test more intelligently the people who were near those individuals. And if I stay, if I test fast enough, I get ahead of the outbreak and therefore uh, uh, I stop it there. I cut any extra transmission in that kill chain, right? And um, We've been doing it for hundreds of years. That's how we've been controlling outbreaks since we started understanding how they operate. Uh, nevertheless, now we have technology to force multiply or keep mm-hmm. a place. And that's what smart city technology uh, can do, right? It helps us get better at doing that with less people and being much more effective. If we do that right, we actually can coexist with this damn thing uh, until a vaccine comes. And this is a strategy that if we implemented right, as you were saying, today is COVID-19, but there'll be other pandemics. Uh, frankly, we could do it for the uh, seasonal flu. 
And if we did it well for the seasonal flu, uh, uh, tens of thousands of Americans' uh, lives would be saved every year. So we, we should be doing more of it. Yeah, it's funny that people get so upset about this. Hey, anybody here? This is a little test. Do you guys know who um, Albert uh, Gitchell is? Dan? I do not. I do not. Yeah, he was the army cook who uh, actually was the first person in, well, probably, but anyway, the first person in 1918 that is, is, is credited for spreading the flu to uh, 521 soldiers at uh, Camp uh, Fusen in uh, Futsen. In, in Kansas, right? So my point about this is contact tracing. This was in 1918. We were able to, we say we collectively, were able to go back and look at who was the first person uh, to push the flu in uh, the pandemic flu that we had um, in the United States, right? So it, this is, should not be a scary thing. And as emergency managers, um, I think that we should actually kind of get behind um, th this concept with our our fellow, um, you know, responders and emergency managers and stuff over at the CDC and and our public health department because it's not scary, guys. It's not. Scary. I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it has to do with the the lack of information or uh, and not necessarily not necessarily lack of information, but the lack of education to the public because the public you know, a lot is like, why are we doing it? And then rumors get started, and then the rumors go. It's just like the pandemic itself, right? A rumor gets started, and then it escalates to to something else, and then it's misinformation at that point, and and um, why we're doing it, and why it's important, and and how it, and how it relates to keeping them healthy. Um, one of the things that I've discovered through this, because you know, in here in Monterey County, I've worked with the county daily, um, as far as you know what we do for our institution, and when we have individuals who may say um, that they think they have it, or you know, going with the county to say, okay, what's the what are our procedures? What how do we trace it back? Who do they come in contact with? When was it uh, even a uh, threat? to the other individuals as far as being contagious, if they could have caught it. These, all these things are information that a lot of the general public don't have. Mm -hmm. And how do we get that information out to them to correct or eliminate some of these rumors or misinformation that are, that's going out there? And I mean, I, I understand the part that becomes controversial because the technology feels weird. Uh, there, there are non-technological solutions, right? So if you go to a restaurant today in Germany where they have the outbreak totally under control, at this point, who knows what happens tomorrow, but at this point, there are outbreaks under control. If you go to a restaurant, they'll ask you for a phone number for the table because if they find out later that somebody on that restaurant, the day you went, was positive for COVID-19, the government will ask you to either get a test or quarantine for 14 days. Mm -hmm. I think it's a fair thing to do. I think it's a fair trade-off. Um, I don't think anybody loses their freedoms because you leave your phone. Uh, we all do whenever you reserve a table in any case. Uh, well, this is exactly what this technology does, right? So your 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 contact tracing, the one that Apple and Android are deploying right now, the only thing they do is they share not even your phone number, but just a random hash that nobody but those two companies can trace back to you. Uh, nevertheless, because it's automated and it's the technology that starts to get people more nervous, right? And this is where, as you as, as you mentioned, Daniel, it's important to let people know where the limitations and the checks and balances are baked into the way these systems are designed. Absolutely. You know, I think is interesting too is you're starting to see uh, sports teams, um, movie theaters, things like this moving away from paper tickets uh, to apps, right? And so when you download the app to go into, say, the Fandango app, for instance, I'll just use that as an example. And I don't know if they're doing this or not. Everybody said, oh, please don't, uh, you know, 
get rid of your Fandango app. So they got on the app is you, when you put it in there, they actually have, can put the ability to, to, to do contact tracing through the app. When you check into your, to the thing, when you, when you log in with your QR code uh, or get to the, go to the movies or to the sports game or whatever, um, it, it can actually do the same thing. And, and people are, are okay uh, with doing this with that app, but when it comes into their health, uh, they, they get really skittish. And I think it's interesting. And, you know, let's and, and kind of going, moving that into the whole concept of the app, the smartphone, 5G, moving things faster. Um, we are moving into digital society. We are an information society now. And uh, Michael brings up the idea regarding um, relocation recovery, requiring governments to quickly get internet services back up as uh, for schools and also for homework. So how, and, and it's going to be a weird transition, but it's going to work. Trust me. How do we go from um, the idea that we have some home internet, which is technically normally slower than business, but now we have everybody working at home and there are days and everybody has felt them when everybody gets on the internet at around the same time that things slow down um, with the pipeline. What do we need to do, infrastructurally speaking, to make all this stuff work the way we think it works? Yeah, I, I saw I saw Mike Michael's comment, and I wanted to bring it too because he he brings a fantastic point. I, I we've seen the transition of the internet from being a luxury to being a primal necessity, and the fact that today FEMA has been experimenting with different technologies to create internet bubbles. Uh, we saw them first. I think the first big deployment that we've seen of this modern technology happened in Puerto Rico and uh, Project Loon from, from Google. And I don't know for how long, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know that for many months, uh, 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 hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans were receiving the internet from two balloons uh, uh, stationed uh, above, above the uh, theater balloons that were stationed above the island. Um, in many ways, it actually was the best coverage that they ever had. Uh, and it did, it, it did an incredible job bringing people together. This matters for two, two reasons. One is that uh, it matters because people need it now to perform their jobs, as, as we were mentioning. But secondly, it means because the internet be is becoming more, more, more and more essential for the response and recovery uh, phases. And uh, if you have internet as, as an emerging manager, you can do many things that you don't. And so far, uh, and you might have heard that this one, one of the reasons why we've been reluctant to adapt digital uh, online cloud-based technologies has been because what happens when the internet comes down, right? That's, how, that, that's kind of a constant fear of the emergency manager. And the persistence of paper and charts and uh, in many ways can be directly traced, no pun intended to our previous conversation, uh, to the fear of losing the internet. Well, what happens when the internet cannot be lost anymore, either because it can be reestablished through a tether balloon, or now with SpaceX bringing a mega constellation of satellites that basically would make uh, make it possible to have the internet everywhere all the time, uh, and short of an electronic magnetic pulse, nothing could bring it down, right? So this is the new world we're living, and it is an interesting question as we got more and more dependent and 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 gluten with 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 the internet. We are using more and more of it. Uh, as technologies make it more persistent, uh, what happens to emergency management in the smart cities world when you can depend on the internet even after a disaster, which is a scenario that we still not have right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what we've experienced too, like in, in my experience with my current organization in 
Uh, we actually got uh, to the point where we were installing outside Wi-Fi for students to come because I work for the Institution of Higher Education for students to come and be able to work in their cars. And we also uh, we worked with communities to get school buses and make those hotspots so that we can bring them into communities that didn't have it and and give it to them because it's still um, is it, in, here in Monterey County. You know, you know, there's still areas where it's very hard to get uh, Wi-Fi. It's not it's not as uh, it's not as um, available as we would think it would be um, considering, you know, where that we're in, in 20, year 2020. But as we wrap things up, I wanted to ask you, so with all the experience you have as, as um, being a futuristic thinker, what's what's next? What do we prepare for? I mean, we got technology coming daily, especially as we go back to the, the to the tracing question, where people are constantly putting out new technology. And, and how do we, do we go out and we do we look for that technology or do we wait for what's coming next? Yeah, well, I, 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 like always, right? We always prepare for the last battle uh, we fought. So I, I think that what we've learned in 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 uh, complexity theory is that the future is uncertain, and knowing what the next big catastrophe is gonna be, it's impossible. Uh, but we can see where we can get better at, and I would see, say that very clearly. If COVID-19 would have been a tabletop exercise, the after-action review would be this big, right? So we have many lessons to process. We we did many things right, and we've done many things right, but we did many things wrong. I would say that COVID-19 was the biggest collective effort need we've had probably since Second World War. It was not as dire, certainly, and people were not dying at the numbers or with the dram drama that we saw in the Second World War, but certainly it was the most important time since Second World War when we needed a national effort where everybody needed to pull together in a single direction. And uh, I'm not very satisfied. I don't know about our audience, but I'm not very satisfied of how that went. And that might be because we were in a very weird point in time because things have changed, but that didn't happen in every other industrialized nation. So I would say that what is the next big thing? I, I think that it's not, not new. It's how do we make sure that community resiliency uh, is not just an empty uh, moniker or, or, or buzzword that we use and throw around. And we actually, for the first time, we actually had an experiment. It was not an experiment, it was a real crisis that put that concept to the test. And I would say that we need to do better. And an and effort to do that, uh, uh, emergency managers, first responders paid a heavy price of having to fight these wars, of convincing people to act in their best interest. And, and hopefully, hopefully, and people died because of that, yeah. right? So hopefully we would get better at uh, this concept of community resiliency that probably before COVID-19 sounded almost like uh, amorphous. And this time it become it became very clear what we meant by that. So. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I can't agree with you more than that last statement. So Rodrigo, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak to you and to see you. You know, uh, we need to get together actually in person at some point. And uh, anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? And it does, if anybody want to get to hold you, how can they find more information about you? I'm very Googleable. So so just Google Rodrigo Nieto Gomez. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, uh, Medium publications. And uh, so it, I'm really easy to find. So, so by all means, just get in contact for whatever channel you prefer. And it's always a pleasure. Absolutely. 
Thank you and for I coming want, on, Rodrigo. Yeah, I want to thank, thank Dan, for your time, uh, producer Brian back there in the in the corner there for, right. for everything that's going on, and uh, for everybody. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on your favorite podcast player. Download us and uh, give us uh, reviews. Five stars would be great. So love it.